Chapter 34 of the Arabian Nights Entertainments. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The Arabian Nights Entertainments by Andrew Lang. Chapter 34 The Story of Sidi Noman. The Caliph Harun al Rashid was much pleased with the tale of the blind man and the dervish and when it was finished he turned to the young man who had ill-treated his horse and inquired his name also the young man replied that he was called siddi noman siddi noman observed the caliph i have seen horses broken all my life long and have even broken them myself but i have never seen any horse broken in such a barbarous manner as by you yesterday everyone who looked on was indignant and blamed you loudly as for myself, I was so angry that I was very nearly disclosing who I was, and putting a stop to it at once. Still, you have not the air of a cruel man, and I would gladly believe that you did not act in this way without some reason, as I am told that it was not the first time, and indeed that every day you are to be seen flogging and spurring your horse, I wish to come to the bottom of the matter. But tell me the whole truth and conceal nothing sidi noman changed color as he heard these words and his manner grew confused but he saw plainly that there was no help for it so he prostrated himself before the throne of the caliph and tried to obey but the words stuck in his throat and he remained silent the caliph accustomed though he was to instant obedience guessed something of what was passing in the young man's mind and sought to put him at his ease. Sidi Numan, he said, do not think of me as the caliph, but merely as a friend who would like to hear your story. If there is anything in it that you are afraid may offend me, take courage, for I pardon you beforehand. Speak then openly and without fear, as to one who knows and loves you. Reassured by the kindness of the caliph, Sidi Numan at length began his tale. Commander of the faithful, said he, dazzled though I am by the lustre of your highness's presence, I will do my best to satisfy your wishes. I am by no means perfect, but I am not naturally cruel, neither do I take pleasure in breaking the law. I admit that the treatment of my horse is calculated to give your highness a bad opinion of me, and to set an evil example to others, yet I have not chastised it without reason, and I have hopes that I shall be judge more worthy of pity than punishment. Commander of the faithful, I will not trouble to describe my birth. It is not of sufficient distinction to deserve your highness's attention. My ancestors were careful people, and I inherited enough money to enable me to live comfortably, though without show. Having therefore a modest fortune, the only thing wanting to my happiness was a wife who would return my affection. But this blessing I was not destined to get, for on the very day after my marriage, my bride began to try my patience in every way that was most hard to bear. Now seeing that the customs of our land oblige us to marry without even beholding the person with whom we are to pass our lives, a man has of course no right to complain as long as his wife is not absolutely repulsive or is not positively deformed. And whatever defects her body may have, Pleasant ways and good behavior will go far to remedy. 
The first time I saw my wife unveiled, and when she had been brought to my house with the usual ceremonies, I was enchanted to find that I had not been deceived in regard to the account that had been given me of her beauty. I began my married life in high spirits and the best hopes of happiness. The following day a grand dinner was served to us, but as my wife did not appear, I ordered a servant to call her. Still she did not come, and I waited impatiently for some time. At last she entered the room, and she took our places at the table, and plates of rice were set before us. I ate mine as was natural, and with a spoon, but great was my surprise to notice that my wife, instead of doing the same, drew from her pocket a little case from which she selected a long pin, and by the help of this pin conveyed her rice grain by grain to her mouth. Amina, I exclaimed in astonishment, is that the way you eat rice at home? And did you do it because your appetite was so small? Or did you wish to count the grains so that you might never eat more than a certain number? If it was from economy, and you are anxious to teach me not to be wasteful, you have no cause for alarm. We shall never ruin ourselves in that way. Our fortune is large enough for all our needs. Therefore, dear Amna, do not seek to check yourself, but eat as much as you desire as I do. In reply to my affectionate words, I expected a cheerful answer, yet Amna said nothing at all, but continued to pick her rice as before, only at longer and longer intervals, and instead of trying the other dishes, all she did was to put every now and then a crumb of bread into her mouth that would not have made a meal for a sparrow. I felt provoked by her obstinacy, and to excuse her to myself as far as I could, I suggested that perhaps she had never been used to eat in the company of men, and that her family might have taught her that she ought to behave prudently and discreetly in the presence of her husband. Likewise, that she might either have dined already or intend to do so in her own apartments. So I took no further notice, and when I had finished, left the room secretly much vexed at her strange conduct. The same thing occurred at supper, and although all through the next day, whenever we ate together, it was quite clear that no woman could live upon two or three breadcrumbs and a few grains of rice, and I determined to find out how and when she got food. I pretended not to pay attention to anything she did, in the hope that little by little she would get accustomed to me and become more friendly, but I soon saw that my expectations were quite vain. One night I was lying with my eyes closed and to all appearance sound asleep, when Amna arose softly and dressed herself without making the slightest sound. I could not imagine what she was going to do, and as my curiosity was great I made up my mind to follow her. When she was fully dressed, she stole quietly from the room. The instant she had let the curtain fall behind her, I flung a garment on my shoulders and a pair of slippers on my feet. Looking from a lattice which opened into the court, I saw her in the act of passing through the street door, which she carefully left open. It was bright moonlight, so I easily managed to keep her in sight, till she ended her a cemetery not far from the house. There I hid myself under the shadow of the wall and crouched down cautiously and hardly was I concealed when I saw my wife approaching in company with a ghoul, one of those demons which, as your highness is aware, wander about the country making their lairs in deserted buildings and springing out upon unwary travellers whose flesh they eat. If no live being goes their way, then they betake themselves to cemeteries and feed upon dead bodies. I was nearly struck dumb with horror on seeing my wife with this 
hideous female ghoul, they passed by me without noticing me, began to dig up a corpse which had been buried that day, and then sat down on the edge of the grave to enjoy their frightful repast, talking quietly and cheerfully all the while, though I was too far off to hear what they said. When they finished, they threw back the body into the grave and heaped back the earth on it. I made no effort to disturb them, and returned quickly to the house, when I took care to leave the door open, as I had previously found it. Then I got back into bed and pretended to sleep soundly. A short time after Amna entered, as quietly as she had gone out, she undressed and stole into bed, congratulating herself apparently on the cleverness with which she had managed her expedition. As may be guessed, after such a scene, it was long before I could close my eyes, and at the first sound which called the faithful to prayer, I put on my clothes and went to the mosque. But even prayer did not restore peace to my troubled spirit, and I could not face my wife until I had made up my mind what future course I would pursue in regard to her. I therefore spent the morning roaming about from one garden to another, turning over various plans for compelling my wife to give up her horrible ways. I thought of using the violence to make her submit, but felt reluctant to be unkind to her. Besides, I had an instinct that gentle means had the best chance of success. So, a little soothed, I turned towards home, which I reached about the hour of dinner. As soon as I appeared, Amna ordered dinner to be served, and we sat down together. As usual, she persisted in only picking a few grains of rice, and I resolved to speak to her at once of what lay so heavily in my heart. Amina, I said as quietly as possible, you must have guessed the surprise I felt when the day after our marriage did you decline to eat anything but a few morsels of rice, and altogether behaved in such a manner that most husbands would have been deeply wounded. However, I had patience with you, and only tried to tempt your appetite by the choicest dishes I could invent, and still, Amina, it seems to me that there be some among them as sweet to the taste as the flesh of a corpse. I had no sooner uttered these words than Amina, who instantly understood that I had followed her to the graveyard, was seized with a passion beyond any that I had ever witnessed. Her face became purple, her eyes looked as if they were. They could start from her head, and she positively foamed with rage. I watched her with terror, wondering what would happen next, but little thinking what would be the end of her fury. She seized a vessel of water that stood at hand, and plunging her hand in it, murmured some words I failed to catch. Then sprinkling it on my face, she cried madly, Wretch! Receive the reward of your prying, and become a dog! The words were not out of her mouth, when, without feeling conscious that any change was passing over me, I suddenly knew that I had ceased to be a man. And the greatness of the shock and surprise, for I had no idea that Amna was a magician, I never dreamed of running away, and stood rooted to the spot while Amina grasped a stick and began to beat me. Indeed, her blows were so heavy that I only wondered they did not kill me at once. However, they succeeded in rousing me from my stupor, and I dashed into the courtyard, followed closely by Amna, who made frantic dives at me, which I was not quick enough to dodge. At last she got tired of pursuing me, or else a new trick entered into her head, which would give me speedy and painful death. She opened the gate leading into the street, intended to crush me as I passed through. Dog though I was, I saw through her design, and stung into presence of mind by the greatness of the danger. I timed my movement so well that I contrived to rush through, and only the nip of my tail received a squeeze as she banged the gate. I was safe, but my tail hurt me horribly, and I yelped and howled so loud all along the streets that the other boys came and attacked me, which made matters no better. 
In order to avoid them, I took refuge in a cook shop, where tongues and sheep's head were sold. At first the owner showed me great kindness and drove away the other dogs that were still at my heels while I crept into the darkest corner. But though I was safe for the moment, I was not destined to remain long in, under his protection, for he was one of those who hold all dogs to be unclean, and that all the washing in the world would hardly purify you from their contact. So after my enemies had gone to seek other prey, he tried to lure me from my corner in order to force me into the street, but I refused to come out of my hole and spent the night in sleep, which I sorely needed after the pain inflicted on me by Amna. I have no wish to weary your highness by dwelling on the sad thoughts which accompanied my change of shape, but it may interest you to hear that the next morning my host went out early to do his marketing and returned laden with the sheep's heads and tongues and trotters that formed his stock and trade for the day. The smell of meat attracted various hungry dogs in the neighborhood, and they gathered around the door begging for some bits. I stole out of my corner and stood with them. In spite of his objection to dogs as unclean animals, my protector was a kind-hearted man, and knowing I had eaten nothing since yesterday, he threw me bigger and better bits than those which fell to the share of the other dogs, all to no purpose. When I had finished, I tried to go back into the shop, but this he would not allow, and stood so firmly at the entrance with a stout stick that I was forced to give it up and seek some other home. A few paces further on was a baker's shop, which seemed to have a gay and merry man for a master. At that moment, he was having his breakfast, and though I gave no signs of hunger, he at once threw me a piece of bread. Before gobbling it up, as most dogs are in the habit of doing, I bowed my head and wagged my tail, in token of thanks, and he understood and smiled pleasantly. I really did not want the bread at all, but felt it would be ungracious to refuse, so I ate it slowly, in order that he might see that I only did it out of politeness. He understood this also, and seemed quite willing to let me stay in his shop, so I sat down with my face to the door, to show that I only asked his protection. This he gave me, and, and indeed encouraged me to come into the house itself, giving me a corner where I might sleep, without being in anybody's way. The kindness heaped on me by this excellent man was far greater than I had ever have expected. He was always affectionate in his manner of treating me, and I shared his breakfast, dinner, and supper, while on my side I gave him all the gratitude and attachment to which he had the right. I sat with my eyes fixed on him, and he never left the house without having me at his heels, and if I ever happened that when he was preparing to go out, I was asleep, and did not notice, he would call, Rufus, Rufus, for that was the name he gave me. Some weeks passed in this way, when one day a woman came in to buy bread. In paying for it, she laid down several pieces of money, one of which was bad. The baker perceived this and declined to take it, demanding another in its place. The woman, for her part, refused to take it back, declaring it was perfectly good, but the baker would have nothing to do with it. It's really such a bad imitation, he exclaimed at last, that even my dog would not be taken in. Here, Rufus, Rufus! And hearing his voice, I jumped on to the counter. The baker threw down the money before me and said, Find out if there is a bad coin. I looked at each in turn and then laid my paw on the false one, glancing at the same time at my master, so as to point it out. The baker, who had of course been only in joke, was exceedingly surprised at my cleverness, and the woman who had at last convinced that the man spoke the truth produced another piece of money in its place. When she had gone, my master was so pleased that he told all the neighbors what I had done and made a great deal more of it than there really was. The name was very naturally declined to believe his story, 
and tried me several times with all the bad money they could collect together, but I never failed to stand the test triumphantly. Soon the shop was filled from morning till night with people who, on the pretense of buying bread, came to see if I was as clever as I was reported to be. The baker drove a roaring trade and admitted that I was worth my weight in gold to him. Of course, there were plenty who envied him, his large custom, and many was the pitfall set for me, so that he never dared to let me out of his sight. One day a woman, who had not been in the shop before, came to ask for bread like the rest. As usual, I was lying on the counter, and she threw down six coins before me, one of which was false. I detected it at once and put my paw on it, looking as if I did so at the woman. Yes, she said, nodding her head. You're quite right. That is the one. She stood gazing at me attentively for some time, then paid for the bread and left the room, making a sign for me to follow her secretly. Now, my thoughts were always running on some means of shaking off the spell laid on me, and noticing the way in which this woman had looked at me, the idea entered my head that perhaps she might have guessed what had happened, and in this I was not deceived. However, I let her go on a little way and merely stood at the door watching her. She turned and seeing that I was quite still, she again beckoned to me. The baker all this while was busy with his oven and had forgotten all about me, so I stole out softly and ran after the woman. When we came to a house which was some distance off, she opened the door and then said to me, Come in, come in, you will never be sorry that you followed me. When I had entered, she fastened the door and took me into a large room where a beautiful girl was working at a piece of embroidery. My daughter, exclaimed my guide, I have brought you the famous dog belonging to the baker which can tell good money from bad. You know that when I first heard of him, I told you I was sure he must be a really a man, changed into a dog by magic. Today I went to the baker's to prove for myself the truth of the story and persuaded the dog to follow me here. Now, what do you say? You're right, mother, replied the girl, and rising, she dipped her hand into a vessel of water, then sprinkling it over me, she said, If you were born a dog, remain dog, but if you were born man, by virtue of this water, resume your proper form. In one moment, the spell was broken. The dog's shape vanished as if it had never been, and it was a man who stood before her. Overcome with gratitude at my deliverance, I flung myself at her feet and kissed the hem of her garment. How can I thank you for your goodness towards a stranger, and for what you have done? Henceforth I am your slave. Deal with me as you will. Then in order to explain how I came to be changed to a dog, I told her my whole story and finished with rendering the mother the thanks due to her for the happiness she had brought me. Siddhi Noman returned the daughter. Say no more about the obligation you are under to us. The knowledge that we have been of service to you is ample payment. Let us speak of Amna, your wife, with whom I was acquainted before her marriage. I was aware that she was a magician, and she knew too that I had studied the same art under the same mistress. We met often going to the same baths, but we did not like each other, and never sought to become friends. As to what concerns you, it is not enough to have broken your spell. She must be punished for her wickedness. Remain for a moment with my mother, I beg, she added hastily. I will return shortly. Left alone with the mother, I again expressed the gratitude I felt to her as well as to her daughter. My daughter, she answered, is, as you see, as accomplished a magician as Amna herself. You would be astonished at the amount of good she does by her knowledge. That is why I have never interfered, otherwise I would have put a stop to it long ago. 
as she spoke her daughter entered with a small bottle in her hand city mamma she said the books i have just consulted tell me that amna is not home at present but she could and should return at any moment i have likewise found out by their means that she pretends before the servants great uneasiness as to your absence she has circulated a story that while at dinner with her you remembered some important business that had to be done at once and left the house without shutting the door by this means a dog had strayed in which was forced to get rid of by a stick go home then without delay and await amna's return in your room when she comes in go down to meet her and in her surprise she will try to run away then have this bottle ready and dash the water it contains over her saying boldly receive the reward of your crimes this is all i have to tell you everything happened exactly as the young magician had foretold i had not been in my house many minutes before amna returned and as she approached i stepped in front of her with the water in my hand she gave one loud cry and turned to the door but it was too late i had already dashed the water in her face and spoken the magic word amna disappeared and in her place stood the horse you saw me beating yesterday that commander of the faithful is my story and may i venture to hope that now you have heard the reason of my conduct your highness will not think this wicked woman too harshly treated sidi noman replied the caliph your story is indeed a strange one and there is no excuse to be offered for your wife but without condemning your treatment of her i wish you to reflect how much she must have suffered from being changed into an animal and i hope you will let that punishment be enough i do not order you to insist upon the young magician finding the means to restore because i know that once women such as she begin to work evil they never leave off and i should only bring down on your head a vengeance far worse than the one you have undergone already end of chapter 34 recording by naila beg ansari karachi pakistan